Well, every day your heart beats 100,000 times, moving 2,000 gallons of blood through 60,000 miles of blood vessels. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That heartbeat begins about 18 days after conception. And within an average lifetime, your heart will beat over 2.5 billion times, moving over 100 million barrels of blood through your body. Now, just to kind of put that in perspective, since that's a lot of numbers, it'd be like turning on your faucet in your kitchen and letting it run full speed for 45 years. It's the same volume. All from a, a, an organ in your body the size of your fist. God is amazing in what He has created. You see, the Bible repeatedly affirms the importance of of our heart as being central to our life but it's rarely referring to that vital organ that beats inside of our chest instead it's speaking from a spiritual perspective it looks at the heart also known as the soul the very core of our being our spiritual heart is the source of our emotions it's the seed of our personality our will our intellect we are relational beings because of what takes place in our heart. So whether we're talking about the, the physical heart, that, that vital organ that beats inside of our chest, or we're talking about our spiritual heart, that part of us that God created us uniquely as human beings made in His image, in either case, the Bible affirms that they are vital to our life. This morning, Jesus is going to ask the question, why do you worry? It's relevant. In fact, he'll ask about eight questions in nine verses that all point to this same issue. Because worry and anxiety are ultimately issues of the heart. They're a reflection of our faith. They say something about our relationship with God. So before we look at this very relevant topic, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Boy, if there's something that uh, I think we all can relate to, it's this topic this morning. Worry and anxiety, things happening in our lives, our families, our marriages, our world. We are surrounded by things that cause worry and anxiety. And you ask the question, why do you worry? Father, as we look at that question this morning, would you help us find some answers that maybe we have not seen before? Comfort us in ways that maybe we've not experienced before. Help us answer the question as you intended your disciples to when you first asked it to them. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 25 for our passage this morning. Where Jesus speaks to this topic of anxiety and worry. And so in verse 25, Jesus is speaking. Chapter 6, verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life, as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Jesus begins by saying, for this reason. Some translations may say, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask what it's there for, right? And in this case, it's related to the things that Jesus has said in the previous verses. And not surprisingly, he's talking about the heart. In verse 21, he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, Jesus has been highlighting the difference between earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. Treasure that is temporary and treasure that is eternal. And he's encouraging his disciples, people who put their trust in him, to set their heart's desire on that which is eternal. For example, food is perishable. Clothes wear out. Money won't last forever. And so don't build your life on these things. Instead, know that God has put eternity into the hearts of all mankind. So that tells us right up front, people are more important than possessions. Relationships are more valuable than resources. And faith, ultimately, is more life-sustaining than even food. Jesus is encouraging his disciples to invest their life in things with eternal value. He wants them to treasure the eternal. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, the desire of your heart determines how we live our life. Therefore, do not be anxious. In these few verses, he'll say that phrase or something similar five or six different times. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Don't worry. Don't worry. Repeatedly, he makes that same statement. Anxiety is an emotion of apprehension. It expects, anticipates that something bad will happen. (laughs) You see, we don't have anxiety over the anticipation of something going right. We have anxiety over the anticipation of something going wrong. So Jesus goes on and highlights two areas where we should not be ruled by anxiety. Those two areas are our life and our body. I hear those two and I'm not sure what else there is, right? And maybe that's the point especially for an agrarian society like the Israelites when Jesus first made that statement. Because their life depended on the food they could grow and the resources that they could produce for the clothes that they would make. They didn't get hungry and go to the grocery store. (laughs) When they needed new clothes, they didn't go to the mall. What they had is what they could produce themselves and so Jesus looks at those main areas of their entire life and he says those two things don't worry about And, and then he turns to nature to give an illustration to make his point look at verse 26 he says look at the birds of the air that they do not sow neither do they reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them Are you not worth much more than they? 
And which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life's span? I think as we think about nature and specifically farming, that should resonate with us here in West Texas. We live in a farming society, and we appreciate the the hard work of a farmer, don't we? We understand that the skill of raising crops is not for the faint of heart. There's a science to this, the the science of knowing the right soil temperature for seeds to germinate, knowing how to conserve water and to fight off pests and disease. Farming is a great skill, and we all benefit from that, from the food we eat to the clothes we wear. Farming doesn't work unless you're good at what you do. It's both a skill and an art. It takes both planning and flexibility. Farmers are both adept at making adjustments as well as making plans because one growing season is never, ever, ever the same as the last one. The the things that uh, they can control least are what they depend on most, like rain. Fighting off disease and pests. Successful farmers are highly skilled at what they do. They are thoughtful. They prepare. They plan. They tend. They harvest. They store. It's a very skilled work that they do. Now, compare that to the birds who simply survive by instinct they don't plant they have no concept of the science between soil temperature they don't harvest they eat what they see they live by instinct they don't gather into barns you know why because they have no clue about tomorrow all they're worried about is today and their heavenly father takes care of them. And then Jesus asked, are you much more valuable than they? You birds are temporary. You, on the other hand, are eternal. So wouldn't God treasure the eternal more than he would the temporary? Is that not the point that Jesus has been trying to make to his disciples? And then he says, just as a little caveat, by the way, which one of you has added a single moment to his lifespan by worrying? In other words, how many of you have found that worrying actually makes your life better? See, Jesus understands. Worry doesn't give you more. It gives you less. It's a thief. It robs you from the joy of the moment. It takes away from what you already have. See, when that bird finds that seed, he says, wow, a seed. This is wonderful. What a great day. (laughs) We find God's provisions and we ask, will it be enough? We receive God's provisions and we think, but what about tomorrow? We get what God provides and we wonder, but why isn't it what they have? And we compare ourselves to others. I was reading in the Psalms this week, uh, Psalm 78. 
in this psalm, the writer is uh, looking back to the days in the wilderness when God provided for his people with manna from heaven. But then in verse 18, it says this. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they crave. Instead of rejoicing in what they had, they complained about what they wanted. Ouch. Right? There's not a single bird that has ever been born that has ever complained. Ever. Because there is no place for complaint when there is no space for worry. There's a lot that we can learn from the birds. So Jesus carries on with his illustration. Look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field, they they don't toil or spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do for you, O men of little faith? Jesus moves from birds to to the field to make a very similar point. But this one is even more penetrating because he's moving from people to birds now to plants. He says, look at the lilies of the field. For us, we would say, look at the wildflowers. That's what he's pointing to. Things that just grow naturally in the field. Terry and I were in the hill country during the spring. And if you've traveled in the hill country in the spring, you know how absolutely beautiful it is when the blue bonnets cover everything you can see. You're driving down the road, and there's blue bonnets on your left and on your right. In my opinion, I think it's a bit of a road hazard. Because I can't keep from looking at all the beauty that surrounds me. Look at the blue bonnets. Look at the wildflowers in the field. But not a single one of those flowers woke up that morning and thought, I wonder what I'm going to wear today. Not a single one of them complained because it didn't compare to someone next to them. There's a lot we can learn from the wildflowers. The wildflowers are really not even flowers. They're more like weeds, right? They're opportunistic plants that just pop up. They survive in just about any kind of environment. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. That's what he said. Talk about temporary. And so he goes on and says, Are you not more important to God than plants? that are here today and gone tomorrow, wouldn't he treasure the eternal more than the temporary? And then he makes a very brief statement that I think gets to the heart of the issue. O ye of little faith. You see, worry is the opposite of faith. The greater our worry, the smaller our faith. When God is big, our worries are small. When God is small, our worries are big. And considering God's faithful care of all his creation, from the birds of the air to the flowers of the field, doesn't it at least cause you to pause and stop and think, and yet we were created in his image. 
with eternity in our hearts, wouldn't we matter more to him than any other part of his creation? If God cares for all of that, what makes me think that he won't care for me? He gives such value to the temporal. Things that are literally gone here today and gone tomorrow. How much more for the eternal that he has created in his image? Maybe my faith is too weak because my God is too small. And I just need to step outside and see the beauty of his creation and put it all into perspective. This next week, a group of dads and sons are going to take a backpacking trip together. It's the culmination of a year-long study that we've done together about raising a modern-day night. And we've been talking about this trip for a year now. This is one of my favorite things to do because it helps me put life into perspective. I feel really small when I'm surrounded by 14,000-foot peaks. I feel really vulnerable when I'm in an environment that I cannot control. And yet, I know that God spoke all this into existence, and he cares for it. So how much more does he care for me? It just seems to put life into perspective, knowing that we are his greatest treasure in all of his creation. Look at how he continues in verse 31. Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what Shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Jesus is saying, do not be anxious like those who do not know God. He's speaking about the Gentiles. The Gentiles are those who worshipped idols. And as a result, they were dominated by fear. See, their gods were capricious. They were unpredictable. They were moody. Worship was conducted to earn their favor, to keep them happy. And they were very fickle because you could do the very same things and it wouldn't always work the very same way. And so you're always having to change. They were hidden. They were mysterious. They didn't want to be known. Jesus looks at all that and says, but that is not the God you serve. His goal is not to keep you guessing. His goal is to make himself known. And that's exactly what he did through the person and work of Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus, you see God. When you see his sacrifice on the cross, you see his love for you. His death on the cross was the demonstration of his love for us. He didn't remain distance, distant or, or fickle or unpredictable. He took on flesh and blood. Why? So that we could know without any question what his heart for us is all about. He knows what we need more than we know what we need. <laughs> he helps us find things we didn't even know we were missing. If you pursue the eternal... God promises that he will take care of the temporary. I believe one of the primary ways that promise is fulfilled is through his creation of the church. This right here. That much of our daily needs, the things that we need, the, the, 
the food we eat, the clothes we wear, what we need just to have daily life is taken care of within the context of a church family. The reason I know that is because we see that evident in the early church. Let me just read to you a quick passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Listen to what it says. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. God's people sold what was extra to provide for those in need. See, God created the church to function like a family so that we love one another, we care for one another, we understand what's going on in each other's life so that when there's an opportunity for us to contribute something financially, prayerfully, or just being present, then that's what we were made for. God created us to flourish within the community of the body of Christ. Let me give you another example. You may remember when the lawyer approached Jesus and he asked him the question, which is the greatest commandment? Remember that? And Jesus answered with two. He asked for one. Jesus gave him two. He says the first one is love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The reason Jesus gave him two answers to a single question is because you cannot have one without the other. Your love of others is an overflow of the love that you receive from God. Caring for others is an inevitable outcome of being in a relationship with God. We give to others out of the overflow of what we receive from God. Since we've been talking about plants, let me give you an illustration with a tree. I want you to think of a tree with its roots like hands that are open. Okay, Roots are like hands that are open. You'll notice that those hands, those roots, are very passive. They receive. They receive rain and the nourishment from that water. They receive nourishment from the soil, the nutrients that are in the soil. And even though they are receptive with hands open, they still have to do something with what they receive. They've got to take all that nutrient and, and move it through the roots and up through the trunk and out to the branches and then into the leaves and then into its fruit. So it's very uh, active in what it does. In fact, the work that is accomplished, the energy that is produced by a tree in a single day, is equal to the in energy that would be expelled by a single person carrying 300 buckets of water, one on each hand, up a 10-foot flight of stairs 150 times. Down and up, down and up. Completely receptive, yet constantly working, bearing fruit based on what God supplies. Is that not a good definition of who we are as a church? Completely receptive, constantly working, bearing fruit based on what God supplies. But it doesn't work if your hands are closed. If you're clinging to what you crave, you cannot receive what God supplies. Now look at the last verse, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
this is the basis for the best piece of, co- of counseling advice that I know, how to an- uh, I know how to give. And it is this. Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. Don't try to analyze all the possible scenarios, the myriad of choices, the potential pitfalls. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Do the next right thing today. I think that's, by and large, what this passage is communicating. Because worry and anxiety will not only rob you, it will paralyze you. It will keep you from doing what is right by worrying about what could go wrong. Worry and anxiety are issues of the heart. They are a reflection of our faith. They say something important about our relationship with God. The bigger our worries, the smaller our faith. So as we finish up this morning, I want us to look at this from a heart perspective. I want to do that by asking some questions that I want to encourage each and every one of you, myself included, to consider. (laughs) The first question is this, if you would, write these down. Question number one, am I self-sufficient or God-dependent? Question number one, am I self-sufficient or God-dependent? In other words, does the outcome depend on my abilities or God's provision? You see, sometimes I think we don't grow in our faith because if we're honest with ourselves, we don't walk by our faith. We only take steps that we feel confident in, that we're comfortable with. We operate within the familiar. But in order to build our faith, God often takes us out of our comfort zones. Places where we have to confess, Lord, listen, if you don't show up, this isn't going to work. That's the place where your faith is going to grow. But we don't often like to go to those places. We like to live within the familiar and not step out into places of discomfort. Terry sent me a quote this week that really hit to the heart of this for me as I was thinking through this. It says, I love how God so desperately wants to hear, wants us to hear that he is enough, that he is better than this world, that he has plans for his people. All our striving for, we can find in him. See, that's what a God-dependent life looks like. The question is, does that describe you? Are you God-dependent or do you function pretty self-sufficient? Well, this next question might help. Number two, is God small or is God big? Simple question with a simple answer. (laughs) Big worries, small God. Big worries, small God. Small worries, big God. So you can answer that question real quickly in your life as you're sitting right there this morning. And I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of this sermon today. Because it has exposed the reality of my small God. Because of my big worries. I'm often (laughs) overcome by those worries. Even last night at 9 o'clock, I made the silly mistake of looking at the weather in Colorado next week. (laughs) And it's a lot of rain. 
And I became anxious and worried because I'm taking people who have never been before. I want them to have a great time. And every possible bad scenario that you could think of was running through my mind. And I could control none of them. And so I was, and I told Terry when I went to bed, I said, I'm not preaching on this topic anymore. (laughs) We're done. I need to be reminded about a big God in our small world. (laughs) We sang a song this morning. Mark didn't talk to me. It didn't even cross his mind. There's something about that name. I don't know the last time we sang that song. It's an old Bill Gaither song. (laughs) But when I grew up, my mom would always sing that song. And when I have panic and worry, that's the song I sing. And so you're probably thinking this morning, well, where did that song come from? Well, it was for me. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But it was for me. It was God's way of saying, look, I got this. I'm a big guy. And I can take care of small things. So trust me. Last year, uh, when I was on my sabbatical, I went on a solo backpacking trip. It was a little frightening because it was raining. I think there's a trend here. Maybe I shouldn't go backpacking. But one of the things I did while I was backpacking is spent some time in Isaiah 40. And uh, talk about a place to really put things into perspective. It it has a way of doing that. And so I just want to give you some samples of what's said in Isaiah 40 and how it puts things into perspective for the life that we live. It says in verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or marked off the heavens by the span? Or calculated the dust of the earth by the measure? Or weighed the mountains in a balance? And the hills in a pair of scales? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They're regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up islands like fine dust. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you? From the beginning, have you not understood from the foundation of the earth that it is he who sits above the vault of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in? Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth the host by number and he calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Now, doesn't that put things into perspective? So maybe your next right thing, like my next right thing will be this week, is to spend time in Isaiah 40. And just be reminded how big God is. (laughs) Is your God big or is your God small? You will answer that easily by the size of the worries in your life. Last question. Will you worry or will you pray? Will you worry or will you pray? Prayer is a posture of dependence. 
It is the humble recognition that God possesses things that I do not possess on my own. It is the conscious decision to put my trust in Him instead of worrying about what I can do. In many ways, prayer is a lot like that illustration with the tree, right? It's the roots with hands that are open. When we go before the Lord in prayer, we go with open hands because we cannot receive when our hands are closed. They have to be open. And so we have to let go of things like guilt and shame, bitterness and anger, confusion, doubt, and fear. We release those through prayer and we receive from Him the promises of grace, of hope, of provision. Prayer is a posture of dependence. Our hands are open in order to receive. So will you grip tightly to the things you crave? Or will you hold loosely and trust in Him? Will you worry or will you pray? Is your God big or is your God small? Are you self-sufficient or God-dependent? Good questions, and I hope you will consider them this week. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for this morning, for these people, and for this reminder. Oh, we of little faith, big worries, small God. But we're reminded this morning that's not who you are. So help us to walk by faith to step out of our comfort zones. Teach us how to love you with all our heart and to share that love with those around us. Prevent us from living inside of our own comfortable world and help us to see where you are at work around us. Help us to be people of prayer who come to you for big things because you're a big God. You do more than we can ask or imagine. Lord, I pray along with Daniel Along with your people, we are called by your name. So will you make your name great in our life for your sake? It's in the great name of God, in Jesus our Savior, that we pray. Amen. Have a great week of no worry.